Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. I was reading this short verse in the book of Jonah where it talked about where Jonah was displeased that God was showing mercy to the Ninevites. The verse was so short that you could just roll right through it, not park on it long enough to really think about what Jonah was actually saying to God. Jonah was angry at God because God was showing mercy to someone that he hated, to a people group that he hated, the Ninevites. I'm going to share that verse with you in just a moment, but this is the big idea that I want you to think about. Have you ever been offended by someone, or if there's someone that you do not like, and you're really not thinking about mercy toward them, you're not thinking about grace, kindness, you're not thinking about God imposing Himself into their lives and redeeming them. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in that boat. I mean, I have. And so that is a contradiction, uh, because what we're saying is that the mercy that we want from God is not the same mercy that we want exposed to them. And so I'm going to get to this idea in Jonah's life as he thought about God, the commentary that he was making toward God, the anger that he had toward the Ninevites, and the hypocrisy that I want mercy, but they can't have mercy. I mean, everybody loves to experience God's mercy when we behave poorly, and we behave poorly all the time. I mean, what's the alternative here? The Lord's corrective pleasure. Well, none of us want God's corrective pleasure. We don't want to be disciplined by God. We want to get what we do not deserve, and so we want God to give us mercy. When there is a crime, I mean, our impulse is to hope for something that we don't deserve. But here's the twist. This is the idea that I'm thinking about with Jonah. Have you ever considered applying the same perspective to your enemies, to the Ninevite in your life, to people or to a person that annoys you or you do not dislike? I mean, it sounds like this, blessing for me, but not for thee. That is the cry of a spiteful heart. Now, perhaps this notion strikes you as odd, and so let me give you a fictional case study with my friends Biff and Mabel because they're always good at giving us something to help illustrate the points that I'm trying to make. And so Biff messed up his marriage. Later, he genuinely repented. The operative word here is genuinely. The modifying word is genuinely. He genuinely repented. And as you would expect, God forgave him because God shows mercy. Uh, That is just who God is. And when we come to him humbly and genuinely and ask for forgiveness, he bestows it upon us. And, And Biff was the recipient of God's mercy. Now, he turns to Mabel and he asks his wife to forgive him, but she is unwilling to accommodate She was still angry at Biff. She is a modern-day Jonah, and Biff is a modern-day Ninevite, and she is displeased exceedingly with God that he would show mercy on Biff because she is still holding on to her unforgiveness and her anger. Now, of course, she said that she had forgiven him, but it's not true. It's Christian speak to justify her attitude. Sometimes we can give a faux repentance Sometimes we need to repent of our repentance because it's not genuine repentance because the proof was in her actions. 
she was not actively pursuing reconciliation and restoration, the very, the very things that true forgiveness would imply. The pinnacle of Christian maturity in a marriage is when the offended party not only forgives the offender, but appeals to the offender and allows the offender to be part of the restoration process. In a marriage, you go beyond forgiveness, the transactional forgiveness, and you want to come together and you want to work in reconciliation and restoration so that you can mature together. I mean, think about Christ here. Christ is our example. You and I, we sinned against the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You and I, we were guilty. Because of the gospel, we had the privilege of repenting of our sins. Praise God. I trust you have done that. And God released us from all guilt. He's, he released us from all condemnation. And so now we, the accused, were made free, and the Father placed our deserved punishment on Christ. You and I committed the highest crime in the universe, but the offended God Almighty chose to be part of our redemption, and the story is even sweeter than that. We can now join the formerly offended Christ in restorative work of the gospel. The offended and the offender come together in restorative work of the gospel. That is profound. You and I were the offenders, and now we cooperate with the offended one, God Almighty, so other offenders can hear the same message that set us free, and that is amazing grace. There's another illustration of this in the Bible, this presentation of the gospel as, as we go beyond forgiveness into restorative work. When Paul was Saul, he had Christians put to death because he hated them. And then Saul became a Christian and began to work with those that he persecuted. His new friends were nervous about his conversion, as you might expect, and I, I'm sure that you would be as well. But their faith in God transcended whatever fears that they had. And because of their exemplary faith, they accepted the newly converted Paul, and they dedicated their lives to partner with him on God's gospel mission. And so here you have again the offended and the offender come together on gospel mission. Now, that is not what Biff and Mabel are doing. Mabel is holding on to her anger and the same mercy that she has received from God. She will not accept stand to Biff. And, and, and Jonah, as I mentioned earlier, racist Jonah, he just hates them Ninevites, and he does not want God to show mercy to them. And so our response to the gospel and, and what what we want and what God wants, I mean, it really has to be on the same page. I mean, imagine if the offended Christians in Paul's day held on to their offenses against Paul. Now, there is such a person in the Bible. This is Jonah. Jonah was a man who struggled with joining God on the mission. It was hard for the prophet to praise God for his works, especially when the Lord's works brought change to the people that he harbored a racist attitude toward. And isn't this how it goes? When we will not let go of something, when we harbor anger toward people who may have offended us, I'm not sure what the Ninevites did to Jonah, it is easy to interfere with the work of the Lord when our attitude toward others is evil. In these situations, we do not desire what God desires. What Jonah wanted, 
Well, he answered that question for us. Jonah did not want the Ninevites to receive God's favor. He didn't like them. And he was displeased that they had turned to God. The short verse of Scripture that I'm looking at is Jonah 4.1. The English reading goes like this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's the short verse. And I am unsure if Jonah was fully aware of this, but his displeasure with God's work was a commentary about the God that he served. God is the one that was granting repentance. See, they could not receive mercy without God doing it. And so Jonah, to be angry at what was happening to the Ninevites, was a commentary on God. He was angry at God. Jonah revealed his practical theology through his dissatisfaction with the Lord's actions. Sinful anger is a negative commentary about God, and it's an accusation toward God. Sovereign Lord was the one who granted repentance. The king of Nineveh could not experience forgiveness unless God chose to forgive him. Jonah was mad with God. God showed favor to the king. And that's what that verse is saying. He was displeased exceedingly. A person who harbors anger while withholding God's redemptive purposes for others is at odds with God. So it's not just that my attitude is angry towards you. I am not going to allow God's redemptive purposes to go forward. I'm going to run to Tarshish if I have to. The Lord became an obstacle in Jonah's mind because God was not cooperating with Jonah's plan. God was redemptively pursuing the Ninevites while Jonah was rebelliously pursuing Tarshish. Think about all the times that we choose anger over redemptive purposes. I mean, isn't it the same reasons of Jonah that we just don't want to see restoration and redemption to happen. We don't want to see God's mercy on their lives. And so that's what sinful anger does. It, it restricts God's mercy from going forward in that relationship when we are not getting what we want. If anger and redemption are our choices, Christians should always think redemptively first because we serve a redeeming, sovereign God. He's in control of all things, even those blasted, evil Ninevites. Our job is to pursue redemptive context, go to Nineveh, and redemptive solutions, preach a message. We leave wrath and judgment to God. He is the one to administrate such things. Not in Mabel's case. She wants to administrate wrath and judgment. Also, in Jonah's case, when we choose sinful anger over redemptive purposes, we are no different than the person that we are sinning against. Here's a couple of texts that talk about God as the administrator of judgment, not us. We should cooperate with God by being merciful toward those. In James 4.12, it says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, and it's not Jonah and it's not Mabel. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And then in 1 Peter 2.23, When Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Note how the same evil that characterized the Ninevites also described Jonah. Here's a literal reading of Jonah 4.1. It's just a short sentence, and so you can look at it literally from the Hebrew. It would read like this. It was evil to Jonah with a great evil, and it burned within him. I mean, you can't miss it when you read it literally as to the anger and hate that was just seething inside of him. The Ninevites were evil. That was clear from Scripture. <clears throat> but Jonah, Jonah's sin was equivalent. The Hebrew writer wanted the readers not to miss the point. That's why I say that Jonah and Ninevites are two peas in a pod. Now, perhaps your spouse has sinned against you. Okay, that's evil. But did you respond in sinful anger? That would be evil as well. If our spouses sin against us, it is heinous against God. But our sinful attitude against our spouses is just as appalling against God. Jonah is a mirror for the humble person to see themselves clearly. And so the question is, do we see ourselves in Jonah? Biff needs a redemptive environment to continue to mature, which can happen if Mabel thinks more about what God is doing to her husband rather than how she would like to punish him. Jonah would be in the same boat if he would stop focusing on his hatred toward the Ninevites and recognize that God could do for them. He could provide redemption to them that would actually change their lives and ultimately it would change Jonah's life too. Mabel needs to see how her sin against her husband is no different from his sin against her. You can take Jonah's passage in 4.1 and give a Hebrew literal reading to Mabel. It would sound like this. It was evil to Mabel with a great evil, and it burned within her. Now, who is going to stratify sin as though one sin is better than another person's sin? I mean, wouldn't that be odd? Because, I mean, this is what happens. Well, I mean, this is what they did, and my sin is minor compared to their sin. I mean, what kind of conversation do you want to have with the Lord? Dear Jesus, I lied, but I never hurt anyone. Jonah had that conversation with the Lord, which really implies his displeasure when juxtaposed to what the gospel could do. There is a precedent for this kind of self-righteous attitude in Scripture. You're familiar with this passage in Luke 18. It goes like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this, this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I know some people could get into the consequential argument that the consequences of his sin is more severe than Biff's sin, is, is more severe consequentially than Mabel's sin. Okay, yes, one sin can be less damaging than the other sin, but that tactic would be self-righteous posturing in context of what I am presenting here. I am sure that the sin of the Ninevites caused more damage than Jonah's sin. I'm positive of that, 100%. But the offense against God is the same. 
The posturing, angry person seeks to justify his anger self-righteously while still hoping to punish someone else because he doesn't like them. That's just the blunt truth. For the record, we're all murderers. The death of Christ was because of us. And so self-righteous posturing is an elevated view of oneself, a low view of God and His gospel. Jonah had a greater than, better than attitude. The bottom line was that Jonah did not see himself as bad as the Ninevites, and he was displeased with God because of it. There can be moments in our lives when God's love just seems wasted. And I think that may have been happening in Jonah's life. Like, are you going to waste mercy on these people? I mean, Jonah was trying to lead God. He was trying to show God that this is not the path that you want to take. You do not want me to go to the Ninevites. And God kept pulling him toward the Ninevites with a storm, with a fish. There can be moments in our lives when God's power just seems mishandled, wasted. There can be moments in our lives when God's grace just seems cheap on those people. You will know if you're in this kind of Jonah trap, if your displeasure with someone outweighs your redemptive thoughts of them. Jonah would rather have seen God's judgment fall on the Ninevites than see them restored. Imagine that. Imagine anyone having that kind of attitude toward any other person. I had rather see God's judgment rain down on those people than God's mercy. Now, props to Jonah. At least he was honest with God about his sinful attitude. The complexity is so profound in this passage. I mean, his honesty was as striking as it was arrogant. We're on dangerous ground when we're bold enough to tell God how we rationalize our sin and are not making plans to change whatsoever. And then like Jonah, we use sound theology to prove our points matter-of-factly Jonah tells God why he ran to Tarshish. Notice how Jonah uses sound theology to support his arrogance and his sinful attitude toward God and toward the Ninevites. This is how he says it. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. Just hear that sound theology right there. You're slow to anger. <laughs> You're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Job is using his systematic theology textbook to make an argument against God and against the Ninevites. Using sound theology to make an argument, he goes on to say, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. His decision to run was not impulsive. He made a reflective response, a pondered perspective. He did not equivocate with God. He knew what he did, and he understood why he did it. He did not play the devil-made-me-do-it card. He did not like those people, and he made no bones about it. Now, are we any different? I mean, every time that I get angry at my wife, for example, I can hear this voice in my head saying something like, you better stop, you are a fool, shut your mouth, you better not do this. 
And what do I do? Well, I choose to continue in my anger. In that sin event, I do not want what God wants because I'm displeased with her. I know that God is a merciful God, and I could be a carrier of that mercy if I chose to. But I want to position myself and to be like Jonah and to do what Jonah was doing. If you were to stop him as he made his way to Tarshish, and if you were to ask him why he was going to Tarshish, he would have told you. He would have said, I don't like these people. I am rebelling against God. And Jonah said in Jonah 1.12, Jonah said to the mariners, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. I mean, Jonah was a rational person, and he he knew what he was doing. He knew why he was doing it. He knew why there was a storm that was happening. I mean, he understood the situation. Knowing God as well as Jonah did was not motivating enough for him to stop sinning. Imagine that. After all the Bible reading, all the Sunday school classes, all the sermons that you heard in real time in your auditorium and online, and knowing God to such a degree, but it doesn't motivate us to stop our sinning. You see this as you read how we talk to God about it in Jonah 4. Jonah's theology was compelling him to sin. He was right. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Have you ever thought about how the character and attributes of God could work against us as we ignorantly craft the Lord into an image to justify our own desires? Every time we get angry, our sound theology is working against us. We choose our way over what we know to be God's way. We all know that God can make a path when there seems to be no way. But sometimes we do not want God to do that. We do not want Him to make a path. Our sinful choices rise up against what we know God can do. If Mabel would relent, from her anger, if Mabel would begin cooperating with God in the restoration process, she would experience what Biff is experiencing. What is that? A deepening relationship with God. Mabel is sabotaging her own soul. Jonah is sabotaging his soul. Mabel knows God can do this for her. If Mabel were to take a theology 101 exam, she would tell you that God is merciful, God is gracious, God is slow to anger, God can provide grace for this, God will forgive me, God will forgive Biff, God will restore our marriage. She knows all of these things, but she doesn't want it, at least not right now. She is choosing to defy her sound theology by holding on to her anger. She is heading into the thick weeds of sin. Jonah was already in the thick weeds. Jonah wanted God to be like him, and he was frustrated because God would not budge. Jonah would not extend the grace that he had received when it was time to give it to those people that he did not like. Though he was glad to receive mercy from the Lord, he wanted justice. And Lamont said it this way, You can tell when you have made God in your image when it turns out that he hates all the same people that you do. Oh Lord, please take my life, Jonah said.
from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah was not living out the grace that he had received. Jonah was twisting the scripture to rationalize his sin. Jonah was not going to be happy if God helped those people. Jonah would rather die than to see them redeemed. Jonah was so bothered by it all that he wanted to die, which should bring us to a choice. Will we continue to hold on to our displeasure against others, or will we pursue redemptive solutions? Will we choose spiritual death over spiritual life? If you're struggling with anger or bitterness towards someone, consider this as God's gentle, loving care for you. Even after all of Jonah's running, God was there to ask him a a self-reflective question. Do you have a good reason to be angry, is what God was asking him. Though Jonah was not persevering, God was steadfastly hanging with his prophet. God is a wonderful counselor. He is a relentless redeemer. The Lord was working on Jonah, trying to gently provoke him, trying to bring his heart to a place of coming awake. God wanted to give him another opportunity to reflect to respond, to to repent, to rejoice. And the same patient love the Lord showed Jonah, the same patient love Jonah would have been teaching the Ninevites. His response was to go outside of the city, to give God the silent treatment, to sit in his lean-to while remaining convinced that he was justified. Jonah forgot that every day of his life depended on God's persevering love. And though we were made alive, and God is sanctifying us, made alive in God, and He is sanctifying us, the fact is we're still living in bodies tempted by sin. And even as the weeds of sin want to wrap around our hearts, the Spirit works in our lives. God is always operating inside His fallen creatures. He patiently works until He completes what He has begun. What can you do? I mean, if you're sulking in Jonah's lean-to, well, you can take your displeasure to God. Do not run like the prophet. The solution is to go to the Lord and express your weaknesses, your anger, any bitterness, any dissatisfaction, any unforgiveness, while at the same time seeking His tender mercies. Be honest with God. Admit that you do not understand what He is up to and how He can work. We do not know fully. Ask Him to rescue you from yourself. Become more convinced of what God wants than what you want. Let the story of Jonah be a redemptive example for you. I've titled this, The Problem with God's Kindness when you want to be angry. If you want to read it, you can go to our website at lifeovercoffee.com. There's a full transcript there, an article. You can read, you can watch, you can listen to it. Let me wrap up. I want to ask you a few questions. I have four of them. Number one, what is the irony in this part of Jonah's story? Well, here's a hint that Jonah was no different uh, than the Ninevites, that he was sinning and they were sinning. Uh, The irony is also God was extending mercy to the Ninevites and extending mercy to Jonah. 
As you think about this story, just talk through the irony of it. And that's what you'll find most of the time in our lives. This is what's going on in Mabel's life, by the way. She wants mercy from God, but she doesn't want to extend mercy to Biff. Number two, talk about a time when you were living in a similar irony. Now, maybe you're living in that now, that you have been offended, you have been hurt by someone, you don't like someone for some reason. Now, please understand, I I know that it takes time to work through these issues. This is not light switch stuff where you could just flip it on and off. No, these are things that we really have to wrestle through, and it won't come easy, and it'll take a season And sometimes that season can be extended. But we have to start the conversation to talk about the hypocrisy of wanting to experience God's mercy, but yet we we don't want other people, specifically the people who offended us, to receive God's mercy. Number three, what is the solution for a self-righteous person? How would you help them? I mean, let's just imagine for a moment that you're counseling the person in the temple in Luke 18. When he is looking down on that tax collector, thanking God that he is not like him, similar to Jonah, looking down on these Ninevites, I am not like them. How would you help that person? God did not come for the righteous. Christ did not come for the righteous. He came for the sick and for the self-righteous person that doesn't see himself in that need will have a hard time receiving the grace that he needs in order to change. Number four, what does it mean? that God is a persevering God. Talk about a time when God persevered and pursued you, leading you to repentance. We have those stories. We have those stories. All of us do. God is a relentless pursuing redeemer. He was on Jonah's trail. I mean, really, this story is about God and, and his relentless pursuing of his prophet. It is fantastic that the Ninevites came to a place of repentance, and and how they walked out repentance, lived it out, is just a phenomenal thing. But this story of Jonah, and God just persevered with him as he was moving toward Tarshish, as he sent a, hurled a storm into his life, as he prepared a fish for him. And even though Jonah seemingly repented and headed toward Nineveh, it was obvious that he needed to repent of his repentance because his repentance was not genuine. And there was still more work to do in Jonah's heart because of his racist attitude toward those Ninevites. What does it mean that God is a persevering God? Talk about a time when God persevered and pursued you, leading you to repentance. It is this uh, that should cause us to be grateful to God. And by the way, it is this that uh, should give us uh, the ability to offer hope to others, those who are stuck uh, in the anger. And sometimes that anger can be because there are genuine offenses that have happened to them. I don't know what the Ninevites did to uh, to, uh, Jonah, Uh, But in my fictional story where Biff has offended Mabel many times, it's going to take some work for Mabel to work through this, to overcome this. Uh, But she can, by the grace of God, but she has to understand some very difficult truth, as I have been outlining here. If you want to read it, please go to lifeovercoffee.com. The problem with God's kindness when you want to be angry. My name is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.